to be black in historically white spaces. America as a nation is 240 plus years old. Now in that period, we've had some truly defining historic moments. From winning independence in 1776 to uh, concluding a civil war where brother fought against brother in 1865 to uh, granting women the right to vote in 1920. America prides itself on these defining moments. The right side of history is what we call it. Now, as a black person, specifically a Nigerian-American, not surprisingly, I take great interest in what was marked by the signing of the Civil Rights Act in 1964. Now, in addition to liberty and justice for all, it explicitly was intended to end segregation in America. While this was a breakthrough moment for America, 190 years of oppression and abuse and discrimination takes its toll on a nation. We see it in the aftermath, the war on drugs, which has been coined a domestic war on black people, mass incarceration of blacks, which some people would describe as the new institution of slavery, replacing the plantation model of the 18th and 19th century, and tensions boiling over with the Detroit riots in 1967 and the Rodney King riots in 1992, and a number of others in between. It's difficult to undo 190 years of history and emotion and experience by signing a piece of paper. Unfortunately, the damage has already been done. And we still deal with the aftermath every single day. Segregation is a particularly intriguing phenomenon, and it's the focus of this piece. I always find it interesting when I hear people make comments along the lines of, why do we need historically black universities? If we had historically white universities, it would be racist. Well, we do have historically white universities. In fact, you probably received your degree from one, as did I. Phenomenal schools, in fact. The University of Pittsburgh, my alma mater, is a historically white university. Ohio State is a historically white university. The University of Georgia is a historically white university. UCLA is a historically white university. Princeton, an Ivy League school, is a historically white university. This is by no means a comprehensive list. I could go on listing university after university, institution after institution, but I think you catch the drift. The overwhelming majority of colleges and universities that existed in any form prior to the end of segregation were not built to educate black people. Quite the contrary, in fact. Black people were not welcomed or desired or invited to places that were designated for white people, including their schools and universities. Now, one of the results was HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, where blacks were able to receive an education, albeit those institutions at the time were under-resourced and understaffed. Now, in the 19th and 20th centuries, these schools, mostly inferior to their white counterparts, prepared and trained blacks for low-level positions in society, 
with fewer advancement opportunities. That is, the segregation in higher education would ultimately produce in, uh, segregation in society as a whole, with blacks underrepresented in higher income occupations and overrepresented in lower income occupations. The disparity in income would also produce segregation in neighborhoods as well. Blacks would only earn enough to live in the city's more modest neighborhoods. We could continue this exercise for a while, but it's easy to see how this segregation affected many different facets of life. Here's the kicker. Almost 60 years following the Civil Rights Act, I still think America is wrestling with having black people in historically white spaces. The examples abound. I'll draw on some of my own experiences, but I'll highlight some other well-known examples too. In the entire history of my PhD program, we've had one, one black graduate. We'll be at 100 alumni in just a few years. And in our entire history, we've had one black graduate. By the time I finish in 2023, I'll be the third black graduate. Yeah, I would say this is a historically white space. I do love my school though. And I think all things considered, we're a fairly inclusive environment. Serendipitously enough, many of the faculty here do research on racism and discrimination and stereotypes and things along those lines. Yes. Even the white faculty members do research on racism and discrimination and stereotypes. Don't get it twisted. They know what time it is. This is a tremendous place to be a scholar. And if I could go back, I'd pick my institution all over again. Nevertheless, I'm not naive to the fact that even at my institution, having black students in your PhD program is somewhat pioneering. I've mentioned this before, but one of my concerns about wearing sweatpants to school is that someone will think I'm a janitor. Now, as frustrating as it is to say that or type that out or whatever, I don't fully hold that against them, though. A PhD program is a historically white space. There just aren't a lot of people who look like me at this level of education, and the people who do look like me are usually secretaries or janitors. That's it. Now, while for the most part, I've had uh, positive experiences, I'm also aware of the fact that there are things about how I dress and even the color of my skin that greatly increases the likelihood that someone may assume, excuse me, someone may assume I'm not supposed to be here. My brother, who's a physician, has similar thoughts. Perhaps by virtue of the fact that he's in medicine, he takes even more interest in it than I do. Although his hospital is fairly laid back with their dress code, he tells me that he insists on wearing a tie to work every single day. He doesn't have to, but he wants to look the part. I mean, he's a black physician after all. In some ways, he's a pioneer in a space with very few people who look like him. Here's his rationale. I spent four years in undergrad taking the most rigorous science courses my university had to offer. I struggled through another four years of medical school. I took ridiculously stressful board exams 
and by God's grace, I managed to complete residency. If I show up to work every day and people in this hospital assume I'm not a doctor because I'm black, we're going to have a problem. My brother doesn't work in Atlanta, a cosmopolitan international city with many, many accomplished black professionals. He doesn't work in Houston. He doesn't work in DC. He works in rural Georgia at a hospital. His concern, I think, is very well received. The previous examples are a bit more proactive than they are reactive. So maybe I'll illustrate with different examples. I'm reminded of the hashtag in October 2016, what a doctor looks like. In a span of just a week, two black female doctors were not allowed to tend to patients in need of medical attention on their Delta flight. The flight attendants insisted they needed, quote, actual physicians. Ironically, in one case, the man was treated on the plane by nurses, even though there was a black female physician on the plane. These are women who not only work in a male-dominated profession, but they're also working in historically white spaces. The operating room, the emergency room, etc. We're not just talking about microaggressions and subtle comments that make people feel uncomfortable anymore. In the extreme, we have lives at stake. And we're still adjusting to having black people in historically white spaces. I'll admit, I've been giving this a lot more thought recently, based on things that transpired um, throughout 2018. I'm reminded of the incident at the Starbucks in uh, Philadelphia. Having spent three years in Philadelphia, a city that's 45% black, I already had an impression of what I would find when I started reading about it. After all, I can only think of two Starbucks in all of Philadelphia. One is in Center City. This is where the incident actually happened. Um, it's an affluent Philadelphia business district. It's basically downtown. And the other Starbucks is on campus by the University of Pennsylvania and Drexel University, two world-class private institutions. Um, in other words, while Philadelphia has hundreds of coffee shops all over the city, both of those Starbucks are in locations that probably serve far fewer black customers. Now that's not good and it's not bad, it's not anything. I'm simply making an observation about where they do business. Say what you will about the case because I'm not here to sway your opinion. But I think it had a great deal to do with those two black customers being in a historically white space with historically white clientele. I don't think for a second that case was specific to Starbucks or specific to Center City. It could also happen at a boutique coffee shop in Northern Liberties or a Dunkin' Donuts in Old City or some other coffee shop in some other upscale neighborhood of Philadelphia. But my impression is this Starbucks in Center City is probably a historically white space which greatly increased the likelihood of this incident taking place. There was also the incident with Bob Marley's granddaughter. She was in California for a music festival with some friends, and she rented an Airbnb for the occasion. Now, a few minutes after they left their Airbnb, a neighbor called the police on them 
because she thought the house was being robbed. The officers who showed up had never heard of Airbnb before. So they, so that certainly didn't make the situation any better. By her own account, the neighbor stated she called the police on them because they didn't smile or wave back when she waved at them. Man, it's a sad day in America when we call the police on people who don't wave at us. The interaction with the police wasn't all that much better. Even though they'd never heard of Airbnb before, when the girls who were renting the Airbnb showed them the app and tried to call their host to get things worked out, the cops continued to scrutinize them because they weren't convinced that it was legitimate. But as a black person, you have to wonder, just how much do you need to do in order to avoid having the police called on you? It's not a rhetorical question. It's a serious one. Cases like this have been popping up more and more. Of course, you could say this all could have been avoided if Marley just waved or just smiled. But you could also say if the neighbor didn't like how she waved or didn't like how she smiled or her facial expression while waving, maybe she would have called the police anyway. It's tough to say at this point. You know, the incident with the graduate student at Yale seems all too familiar to me. A young black graduate student fell asleep in the lobby of her dorm and another student, you guessed it, called the police on her. Now, to be fair, that area of the dorm was a common space. It's not designated or intended for sleeping. But I think most people who have attended college agree that students fall asleep in rather unusual places during the grind of the semester. Conference rooms, libraries, lobbies, etc. Um, although these aren't designated sleeping areas, it's not unusual to take a power nap, wake up, resume your studying. Um, in this case, an elite private institution with a student body that's 71% white, I can't help but feel Seeing a sleeping black person prompted the student to wonder if this black person slumped over in the chair was a student or someone avoiding the whipping cold of the Connecticut winter. A legitimate possibility. We can't exclude that. I'm sure it doesn't help that much of the student body at Yale, including the 20% of students coming from outside of the U.S., probably haven't interacted regularly with black people of any kind. Um, African, Caribbean, etc. Now, that's just my opinion. That's my hypothesis. I don't know for sure if that's true, but it's certainly possible. If you're an international student from Southeast Asia, coming from India or China or South Korea, Hong Kong, Singapore, etc., I may even venture to say you see black people for the first time when you step off the plane and proceed through the security at U.S. airports you know, on your way to Harvard or Yale or MIT or whatever. I don't hold that against you. A lack of exposure to black people doesn't make you a bad person. Certainly, it doesn't make you racist. But maybe you didn't come to campus at an Ivy League university expecting to see people of the darker variety. It's a historically white space, after all. Uh, maybe you see someone asleep in the lobby of your dorm um, and assume they're in the wrong place. But the story at Yale hits close to home. That easily could have been me, you know. I'm a grad student. 
I'm black, I certainly pull crazy hours for school. I'm absolutely in a historically white space. I can't even imagine the psychological trauma that would come with working crazy hours on my dissertation, taking a quick nap, and waking up to find somebody called the police on me. PhD is already socially, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically isolating. When the people in your hallways call the police on you, that's an entirely different kind of isolation. It means you're isolated even when you're on campus among other students. Um, the Starbucks case, the Marley case, and the Yale case all took place last spring. I was in the thick of school. But after the semester finished, I went on vacation to Peru and Chile, I really had to think through what was unfolding across the country. To be fair, this is pretty pervasive. And that's something we don't mention enough. Before proceeding further, let me be clear. I'm not here to scrutinize, you know, the white populace, I promise. Here's an interesting thought. The biases we're discussing here can be internalized by black people in historically white spaces too. Yes, even me. I'm not exempt from any of this. I'm human after all. My brother, to illustrate, my brother, um, a physician, had a black colleague who previously worked as a physician in the Midwest. Um, he worked, excuse me, he joked that prior to moving to Georgia, he would pull up to the hospital he was working at in Wisconsin and park his car. Now, when he stepped out of his vehicle and started approaching the hospital, some of the black employees working in facilities would inform him that his parking space was reserved for physicians. Now, he was bewildered. He parked his car there because he is a physician and it's a physician's parking space. That's why he parked there. But the black men and women in facilities obviously weren't expecting him to leave his car in a historically white parking space. They probably weren't used to seeing black physicians at the hospital. It's complicated. Even while I was on vacation to Morocco a few weeks ago, I got yet another reminder. I have a conference coming up for school in Portland, Oregon. Um, while I was in Marrakesh, I got an email from the conference organizers that read, Portland Doubletree Hotel incident. Now, I thought two things to myself. Possibility number one. Was there a shooting? Oh God, please no. Possibility number two. Was this yet another incident of a black man or woman in a historically white space? Now, the email subject was kind of ominous. It's sad that's where my mind went but it's probably even sadder that I was correct. I read the email and my suspicions were confirmed. Possibility two, right on the nose. I usually don't like doing what I'm about to do. The case happened late December. We still don't have all the details at this point. Being the analytical person I am, I usually reserve taking a public position of any type until I have additional information for at least two reasons. First, I don't have much faith in the media and how we present the news these days. Um, I'll wait for more information so I can evaluate things a little bit more comprehensively. Now, secondly, I'm not trying to go back and forth on hypotheticals. It's much easier to discuss these things once we have more information. 
but the case is timely. So I'll put those things aside and I will wait in. What we know at this point was a black man, Jermaine, was staying at the Doubletree and he was placing a phone call in the lobby when he was approached by security. Security asked Jermaine if he was a guest and he informed them that he was and he held up his key card for his room. But this didn't satisfy security. The guard asked for his room number, but Jermaine continued with his phone call with his mother because it was an urgent matter that needed his attention. After security consulted the hotel manager and police, Jermaine was kicked out the hotel, escorted by officers. Ironically, they told him he could be charged with trespassing, even though they were escorting him to his room, the room that he reserved to retrieve his belongings so he could be escorted out of the hotel where he had a reservation to stay that night. It's not clear why Jermaine was singled out among the many guests in the hotel's busy lobby after the concert that he had attended. It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of not funny. As I mentioned before, I generally don't like to weigh in on these things publicly until I have more information, but the case is timely. As I go to an academic conference in Portland, which is mostly white, with 5,000 of the most brilliant scholars in the field of social psychology. And they're mostly white too. It's tough being black in historically white spaces. The lingering scars of segregation are still pronounced and fresh. Just because you don't notice doesn't make it any less true. Signing the Civil Rights Act understandably could only do so much. It's difficult to undo American history. You know, I'll be honest, it kind of sucks writing something like this. There's no idealistic twist at the end. There's no Nigerian proverb to close with. There's no like comedic relief. Um, you know, sorry to disappoint. You know, it'd be like that sometimes. Uh, while I've personally had mostly positive experiences in historically white spaces, um, it probably doesn't say much about my artistry if I can't effectively tell other people's stories, particularly the stories of many people I care about that have not had positive experiences in historically white spaces. Those stories are important to me. So here they are. This is for everyone continuing in hashtag the beautiful struggle. Some random thoughts.